Hey there, it's Rachel with another short story for your coffee break. Before I begin reading, I have a tiny request that can make a huge difference. Would you please consider visiting my Patreon account? Your generosity helps me cover all those behind the scene costs from hosting to editing so I can keep serving you the best podcast I can brew ad-free. You can find the link to my Patreon page in the description below. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. My Husband's Book by James Matthew Berry Long before I married George, I knew that he was dreadfully ambitious. We were not yet engaged when he took me into his confidence about his forthcoming great book, which was to take the form of an inquiry into the metaphysics of ethics. I have not begun it yet, he always said, but I shall be at it every night once the winter sets in. In the daytime, George is only a clerk, though a much-valued one, so that he has to give the best hours of his life to a ledger. If you only had more time at your disposal, I used to say when he told me of the book that was to make his name. I don't complain, he said heartily, like the true hero he always is, except when he has to take medicine. Indeed, you will find that the great books have nearly always been written by busy men. I am firmly of opinion that if a man has original stuff in him, it will come out. He glowed with enthusiasm while he spoke. When we met, we talked of nothing but his future. At least, he talked while I listened with clasped hands. It was thus that we became engaged. George was no ordinary lover. He did not waste his time telling me that I was beautiful or saying beloved at short intervals. No, when we were alone, he gave me his hand to hold and spoke fervently of the metaphysics of ethics. Our engagement was not of a very long duration, for George coaxed me into marriage thus. I cannot settle down to my book, he said, until we are married. His heart was so set on that book that I yielded. We wandered all over London together buying the furniture. There was a settee that I particularly wanted, but George, with his usual thoughtfulness, said, Let us rather buy a study table. It will help me at my work, and once the book is out, we shall be able to afford half a dozen settees. Another time he went alone to buy some pictures for the drawing room. I got a study chair instead, he told me in the evening. I knew you would not mind, my darling, for the chair is the very thing for writing a big book in. He even gave thought to the ink bottle. In my room, he said, I am constantly discovering that my ink bottle is empty, and it puts me out of temper to write with water and soot. I therefore think we ought to buy one of those large ink stands with two bottles. We shall, I replied with the rapture of youth, and mine will be the pleasant task of seeing that the bottles are kept full. Dearest, he said fondly, for this was the sort of remark that touched him most. Every evening, I continued, encouraged by his caressing tones, you will find your manuscripts lying on the table waiting for you and a pen with a new nib in it. What a wife you will make, he exclaimed. But you mustn't write too much, I said. You must have fixed hours, and at a certain time, say at ten o'clock, I shall insist on your ceasing to write for the night. That seems a wise arrangement, but sometimes I shall be too entranced in the work, I fancy, to leave it without an effort. 
Ah, I said, I shall come behind you and snatch the pen from your hand. Every Saturday night, he said, I shall read to you what I have written during the week. No wonder I loved him. We were married on a September day, and the honeymoon passed delightfully in talk about the book. Nothing proved to me the depth of George's affection so much as his not beginning the great work before the honeymoon was over. So I often told him, and he smiled fondly in reply. The more, indeed, I praised him, the better pleased he seemed to be. The name for this is Sympathy. Conceive us at home in our dear little house in Clapham. Will you begin the book at once? I asked George the day after we arrived. I have been thinking that over, he said. I needn't tell you that there is nothing I should like so much, but on the whole, it might be better to wait a week. Oh, don't make the sacrifice for my sake, I said anxiously. Of course it is for your sake, he replied. But it is such a pity to waste any more time, I said. There is no such hurry, he answered rather testily. I looked at him in surprise. What I mean, he said, is that I can be thinking the arrangement of the book over. We had, of course, a good many callers at this time, and I told most of them about the book. For reasons to be seen by and by, I regret this now. When the week had become a fortnight, I insisted on leaving George alone in the study after dinner. He looked rather gloomy, but I filled the ink bottles and, and put the paper on the desk and handed him his new pen. He took it, but did not say thank you. An hour afterward, I took him a cup of tea. He was still sitting by the fire, but the pen had fallen from his hands. "'You are not sleeping, George?' I asked. "'Sleeping?' he cried, as indignantly as if I had charged him with a crime. "'No, I'm thinking.' "'You haven't written any yet?' "'I was just going to begin when you came in. "'I'll begin as soon as I've drunk this tea. "'Then I'll leave you to your work, dear.' I returned to the study at nine o'clock. He was still in the same attitude. I wish you would bring me a cup of tea, he said. I brought you one hours ago. Eh? Why didn't you tell me? Oh, George, I talked with you about it. Why, here it is on the table, untouched. I declare you never mentioned it to me. I must have been thinking so deeply that I never noticed you. You should have spoken to me. But I did speak, and you answered. My dear, I assure you I did nothing of the sort. Oh, this is very vexing, for it has spoiled my evening's work. The next evening, George said that he did not feel in the mood for writing, and I suppose I looked disappointed, for he flared up. I can't be eternally writing, he growled. But you haven't done anything at all yet. That is a rather ungenerous way of expressing it. But you spoke as if the work would be a pleasure. Have I said that it is not a pleasure? If you knew anything of literary history, you would be aware that there are occasions when the most industrious writers cannot pen a line. They must make a beginning sometime, though. Well, I shall make a beginning tomorrow. Next evening, he seemed in no hurry to go into the study. I'll hang the bedroom pictures, he said. No, no, you must get begone to your book. You are in a desperate hurry to see me at that book. You spoke as if you were so anxious to begin it. So I am. Did I say I wasn't? 
He marched off to the study, banging the drawing-room door. An hour or so afterward, I took him his tea. He had left his study door open so that I could see him on the couch before I entered the room. When he heard the rattle of the tea things, he jumped up and strode to the table, where, when I entered, he pretended to be busy writing. "'How are you getting on, dear?' I asked with a sinking at the heart. "'Excellently, my love, excellently.' I looked at him so reproachfully that he blushed. "'I think,' said he when he had drunk the tea, "'that I have done enough for one night. I mustn't overdo it. Won't you let me hear what you have written?' He blushed again. "'Wait till Saturday,' he said. "'Then let me put your papers away.' I said, for I was anxious to see whether he had written anything at all. I couldn't think of it, he replied, covering the paper with his elbows. Next morning, I counted the clean sheets of paper. They were just as I had put them on the table. So it went on for a fortnight or more with this difference. He either suspected that I counted the sheets or thought that I might take it into my head to do so. Therefore, he put away what he called his manuscript in a drawer, which he took care to lock. I discovered that one of my own keys opened this drawer, and one day I examined the manuscripts. They consisted of 24 pages of paper without a word written on them. Every evening he added two more clean pages to the contents of the drawer. This discovery made me so scornful that I taxed him with the deceit, at first, he tried to brazen it out, but I was merciless. And then he said, The fact is, I can't write by gaslight. I fear I shall have to defer beginning the work until spring. But you used to say that the winter was the best season for writing. I thought so at the time, but I find I was wrong. It will be a great blow to me to give up the work for the present, but there is no help for it. When spring came, I reminded him that now was his opportunity to begin the book. You are eternally talking about that book, he snarled. I haven't mentioned it for a month. Well, you are always looking at me as if I should be at it, because... You used to speak so enthusiastically about it. I am as enthusiastic as ever, but I can't be forever writing at the book. We have now been married seven months, and you haven't written a line yet. He banged the doors again, and a week afterward he said that spring was a bad time for writing a book. One likes to be out of doors, he said, in spring watching the trees become green again. Wait till July, when one is glad to be indoors. Then I'll give four hours to the work every evening. Summer came, and then he said, It is too hot to write books. Get me another bottle of iced soda water. I'll tackle the book in the autumn. We have now been married more than five years, but the book is not begun yet. As a rule, we now shun the subject. But there are times when he still talks hopefully of beginning... I wonder if there are any other husbands like mine. 
As your cup empties and the final words of our story linger in the air, we hope you have enjoyed this brief escape into the world of classic tales. Join us again on the next episode of A Cup of Fiction. If you enjoyed what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you really loved the episode, consider buying the narrator a coffee on our Patreon page. Until next time, may your moments be filled with the inspiration of the joy of a good story.